Hi there, everybody. This is Representative Blake Carpenter. I'm the Speaker Pro Tem of the Kansas House of Representatives, and welcome to another episode of the Kansas Briefing. Today, I'm going to be discussing um, what we did for the wrap-up session, or the, also known as the veto session, um, that we completed about a week ago. So it was a three-day period in which the legislature returned, and well, actually, let me back it up a little bit more. So every year, um, the legislature finishes what we call first adjournment. At this point in time, the legislature sends its bills to the governor. So at first adjournment was the beginning of April. Um, we then allow for several, a several week period for all the bills to be engrossed and presented to the governor. And once they hit the governor's desk, uh, which it could take some time. So when we left at the beginning of April, there were some bills that didn't reach the governor's desk for an entire week till that next Friday, um, just because of the paperwork and process that it takes for the revisers uh, to package that information and, um, and then present it to the governor. So once it hits the governor's desk, a 10-day clock starts. That 10-day clock then gives the governor the opportunity to look at the bills closely. Her staff looks at the bills very closely. Um, they can. They have three things that they can do. They can either sign the bill, they can veto the bill, or they can allow it to become law without her signature. After that ten-day period is up, so um, we're going. So time passed. We come. That's the reason why we schedule this veto session later in the year. It's always been done this way. Um, not just because she's the governor, um, but even when. Governor Coyer was there, Governor Brownback, Governor Parkinson, Governor Spilia, so on and so forth. This is how it's always worked. Um, it's just been a part of the process. So anyway, needless to say, um, the governor vetoed a historical amount of, of, of bills. Um, so she ended up having a total of 16 vetoes this session. But in one of those bills, there was an, um, it was the budget bill, and there were what we call line item vetoes. And so there's 15 of those just inside the budget bill. So really she vetoed it overall about 30, 31 things. Um, so when we returned at the end of April, we had the opportunity to look at her vetoes or veto messages and then decide what, what do we want to try to override? Uh, we didn't win on everything. We, we also, you know, we were going to try, but we didn't win on everything. So what it amounts to is that we won um, on the first day that we started taking up overrides, uh, 11 vetoes, which was a record because previously the record had been established at nine vetoes in one day. Um, but the house, we, uh, we broke our own record and, uh, we passed, uh, 11. The next day we got another two more. Now, some of those, even though we passed them out of the house, so we, we the house passed a total of 13, uh, over the veto session, but some of those went over to the Senate and failed to secure the override totals. So although we passed 13 overrides out of the house, um, we were unsuccessful in getting some of those overrides uh, through completely. So I'm going to go through um, exactly some of the overrides that we did and um, just a few of the specifics for them. I'm going to give you bill numbers. I'm going to give you vote totals, you know, why, uh, why the vote totals ended up where they were. So House Bill 2313 was the Born Alive Act. This act said that if an infant who is in the, in the process of being aborted is born alive, then that infant deserves a fighting chance. That infant deserves medical care. Um, we've heard reports and stories, and we, we even have a doctor in our body 
who actually has experienced this uh, when he was uh, younger, but he um, was called in, into a room by the nurses with a code and uh, realized that um, an abortion was taking place and heard a crying baby over in the corner of the room on a metal table and basically had been wheeled over there to die. And the doctor who was performing the abortion just didn't, didn't, uh, didn't have any, uh, wasn't, wasn't tending to the child. None of the nurses were, but the nurses didn't feel right about it. So they, so they called this legislator in and um, he, so he tried to save the baby um, was ultimately un unsuccessful. The, the baby ended up dying several hours later. Um, but what we indicated with this law was that, if a child is born alive at 21 weeks, at 20 weeks, whatever it is, then that child deserves the same gestational care as another child born at that same age. So if another child born at that same age is going to go to the NICU, well, then this child would as well. If, if they're going to get, you know, needless to say, if they're going to get medical assistance, then, they, then this individual, this child deserves that same medical assistance. And so that's what the Born Alive Act simply says it just puts it in state law that says if if you are a medical provider and abortionist nurse whatever it is um and you are performing um, an abortion and the child's born alive you have to do what you can to save the child um we have people walking among us today who are abortion survivors and so that's simply what this is trying to do is just make sure that those individuals are are taken care of so the abortion pill reversal, actually the last one, sorry, before we move on from the abortion, uh, from the Born Alive Act, it passed the House with uh, 87 votes, um, and so it was 87 for and 37 against. So we actually had a number of Democrats join us on this one. Um, there was a lot of excuses that uh, many of the Democratic members tried to use. Um, I'm going to call them excuses because most of them were not making much sense, like um, there was an argument that was attempted to be made of, well, the mother should hold her baby until, until the baby dies, um, instead of, you know, getting the baby to the NICU or getting the baby the help it needs or transporting the baby to a hospital that can take care of it. I mean, maybe that's the case. Um, I, I, I don't know if, if, if a mother who, who just tried to abort her baby wants to, wants to necessarily hold the baby. Um, but at the same time, it's okay. She can hold the baby after we save the baby. So, um, you know, cause if, if we don't give the child any medical treatment, then it will potentially die. Um, so obviously the right thing to do in that instance is, okay, let's, let's see what we can do to save the child and she can hold the baby. Um, if she's obviously has changed her mind since, since the operation, but anyway, needless to say, um, there's, arguments brought up about transportation of the baby and everything else. Needless to say, it all sounded like excuses to me, but there were some common sense Democrats that actually came over and joined us on this and would really like to appreciate and thank those individuals. Um, in the Senate, same same scenario, 31-9. So there were some Democrats that obviously came over and, and voted to override this as well. The abortion pill reversal bill is was House Bill 2264. It passed the House with 84 to 40. And then it passed the Senate 29 to 11. So um, it passed the House with a bare minimum of what was required. So to override vetoes, um, I haven't covered this yet either. So to override vetoes, it requires a two-thirds majority in both the House and the Senate. 
So there's 125 House members, and it requires 84 votes in order to override a veto. In the Senate, it has 40 members, and it requires 27 votes to override a veto. Well, the Senate uh, also passed this with, like I said, 29 to 11. A few years ago, in 2019, um, the abortion pill reversal bill was something that we tried to pass. Uh, We were unsuccessful. Um, There was one member in the House um, who was a Republican at the time uh, that that did not want to vote for it. We had exactly 84 Republican members. Not a single Democrat wanted to come and join us on this on this vote. Um, This time around, there was a Democrat who joined us um, and and we got the 84 votes required. And really want to say thank you to that individual because um, there's a lot of stuff that uh, we we got passed that uh, we wouldn't have been successful with. Um, so the abortion pill reversal is uh, basically, again, during the arguments, wasn't making a whole lot of sense, but it's a two-step process um, for a chemical abortion. And all we are simply saying is that there is a uh, a drug out there that we want the doctors to inform the women about that after the first step that if they decide that they don't want to go through with it, they could take a different uh, medication that could potentially save their child. And so we've seen it in over 4,000 cases across America where this has been successful. And so we wanted to make sure that the women knew that there was an escape hatch basically. So after they've taken the first dose, if they decided that they didn't want to proceed forward with the abortion, then, then, then at least they would know about this other option. Um, the left did not want them to know about this. They did. They no. We, we want them to have that abortion. We don't. This is fake science. So on and so forth. Even though we had doctors and nurses on our side going down and going, no, the science is is legitimate. Um, that that obviously didn't matter to them anyway. Um, so House Bill twenty one thirty eight was overnight school accommodations. There was an issue where um, some Kansas students traveled internationally. And on that school trip, uh, one of the female uh, students said that they did not want to um, sleep in overnight accommodations in the same bed as a biological male. And so she ended up sleeping on the floor. Um, and so obviously this got back home and, and now uh, thus this, this law was created. There were a bunch of, again, arguments against this saying that, well, this doesn't happen here. It literally happened here. Um, and our job isn't just reactionary either. It's, it's also to uh, look at the world around us. I mean, you know, we can see what's going on on the East or West coast. Um, and we can see that there's obviously problems going on with certain policies that they're passing and we don't want them here. Uh, but in this instance, it did happen to uh, Kansas students. And it's a simple bill that just says school boards will adopt a policy regarding overnight school accommodations uh, for uh, members of the opposite uh, gender sex. And uh, so that passed 85 to 39 in the House and 30 to 9 in the Senate. Again, um, in the Senate had bipartisan uh, vote. And then there's welfare reform that we took up this year as well, which is House Bill 2094. Um, in, simple, in, in the simplest of terms, uh, what this bill did was um, right now under current law, it's uh, 18 to 49 year olds were the ones that had to have, um, basically they had to go get education. They had to do, uh, work requirements, um, in order to, uh, receive benefits. Well, what we did was we moved it from 49 to 59. 
um, basically saying, yeah, you're in your fifties, just cause you're in your fifties doesn't mean that you're incapable of working or in- incapable of getting a job. Um, you know, you're not, so, so all it did, all it was, was just us moving that age to, um, to 59. Um, from, so from 18 to 59 is now what these work requirements, um, apply to, or training requirements apply to, um, in order to receive state benefits. Um, so that passed 84 to 40 and 28 to 12. Um, there was a lot of budget line item vetoes. Um, again, there's 15 of them. We took up a number of them. Um, I would say that this is, we, we lost a, a, a good chunk of them um, in this instance uh, that we took up, um, either in the house or we passed them in the house. They went to the Senate and didn't, didn't, um, were not successful, um, but there was 15 of them. So, uh, I don't think I'm going to go through the entire, uh, otherwise we'll be here for a while. So I'm going to go ahead and skip over um, the budget line items. Um, if you if you want to go look at what those were, it's House Bill 2184. Um, and you can go specifically look at which provisions of the budget were, were removed. Human smuggling. So this one's interesting. Um, so we have a statute on the books about human trafficking. Um, but we didn't have one about human smuggling. And so when the governor vetoed this bill, it, to me, it didn't make sense. It didn't, I don't know if she actually, or her, or her staff actually understood what the bill was actually doing. Um, but this was house bill 2350. And, um, I think at one point they, they would have been right at one point, but the law or the bill got changed before it got to the governor. Um, so let me back up here a little bit. Give you give you a little bit more of the backstory. So House Bill twenty three fifty was human smuggling, and when it passed out of the House, it went to the Senate. Senate amended it, um, put some language in it that um, people were concerned with. Um, from you know, I mean, every aspect of you know, if it's an Uber driver, so on and so forth, and and well, if I'm an Uber driver and I don't know that they're an illegal um, alien, then how am and then I could be prosecuted basically under this law. That was never the intent. And so uh, when the conference committee started looking at the language and how the Senate had amended it, they said, yeah, this, this language isn't going to function very well. Um, and both sides agreed. And so they, they changed the language to where if, if you're, if you're helping somebody, if you're driving somebody for a service, then you're fine. They added a portion in there that said, basically, if you take a person and exploit them, for money or for another, you know, human or person or whatever, um, whether it's, you know, put selling them into the sex trade or, or that extra step of criminal activity, that's when you're human smuggling. So if you're an Uber driver who's picking people up and taking them to be sexually exploited, then, then yes, you, you should be prosecuted for human smuggling um, because that is illegal and it should be illegal. Um, and I don't think anybody disagrees with that. Um, so, it was interesting that this got vetoed, needless to say, but it, all of the language got changed, got fixed from what it was initially and or, or one of its earlier versions, um, which is the reason why we overrode it, because it, it was common sense legislation that said, you know, human smuggling is not something that um, should be allowed or permitted. So, um, again, that was 20, House Bill 2350. It passed 85 to 39 and the Senate passed it 30 to 9. Uh, the Women's Bill of Rights is Senate Bill 180. So we are the first state in uh, the nation to basically pass a bill like this. Um, and so what it does is it basically just goes into our statute and says, 
um, it provides a definition of what a man and a woman is. Um, it says that, um, you know, anywhere in the statute that you see the word man or woman, it means biological man or woman. Um, I think that that distinction is starting to become more important these days. Uh, but also if you, if, if we're going to start taking on these types of issues, um, maybe there does need to be a different uh, difference in how we um, spell something out in law, depending on what it is that we're working on. Um, so if, you know, we start having more transgender prisoners or something along those lines, well, then maybe we need to start trying to figure out ways in the law that we can accommodate those individuals. Um, but as of right now, uh, the reason why I think it was important to give this distinction was um, because you know, these are single sex spaces and they have been for decades, uh, whether it's locker rooms, bathrooms. Um, it's, it's important that people feel comfortable with where they're at. And if, um, there are people who have not fully transitioned, um, and they go into a locker room with either minors or other women, and, um, they still have all their genitalia intact, obviously, um, that is that is an issue that women in, in my district alone have also reached out to me about. Um, you know, it's it's been an issue down here in Derby for, for quite some time. Um, they passed a uh, the, the schools did a bathroom policy um, in 2016 uh, when when Obama was still in office. Um, they were pretty much one of the only schools in the state to do it. Um, because the Obama administration threatened all the schools in America and, and then Derby jumped on it. Well, needless to say, I had a lot of constituents reach out about that. And then um, just a few months ago, there was an unwritten policy, but it was still a policy that um, the Derby Recreation Commission um, had for their locker rooms, which was also another um, big incident. And then they have since changed their policies and updated them as well. And so um, we've just had a lot of people who've reached out and, and, that's ultimately why I voted for Senate Bill 180. Um, so Senate Bill 228. Now, this was updating uh, the jails and um, a lot of the statutes for the jails haven't been updated since the 1920s, 1930s. Um, but so that that was a lot of what this is. But then there was also other aspects of it um, that uh, was saying that when, when prisoners come in, they're separated by their biological sex. Um, Right now, if if a if a or what had previously been happening is we've we've had a number of male inmates who are saying that they identify as transgender uh, females or that they're in the process of transgendering, what have you, and then they get moved over to female incarceration. Well, as one might imagine, this can cause a lot of issues. Um, are they being truthful in that they are seriously transgender individuals, or are they um, just saying that so that they can end up in a uh, room filled with women um, so that they can do other things. So that's, that's, I think, a big, big issue that we had to figure out and say, hey, no, we, we have to separate the biological sexes still because this could be a safety issue um, for, for several women. Um, so some of the bills that we, I'm going to have to wrap it up here pretty soon because obviously we're coming up on our 30 minute mark, but um, some of the visas that we failed to override were uh, House Bill 2304, which was the Eddie Eagle Safety Training Program. We've got, we've tried to pass this law uh, many times over the last several years, um, but we've always kind of fallen short. Unfortunately, we fell one vote short again this year. Um, it passed the Senate and then it failed by a vote in the House. Um, what this program is, is it says, uh, you know, we're going to teach 
hunter's education and, and, and have the ability for uh, hunter's education to be taught in the, in the high schools and the, in the junior highs, middle schools, that type of stuff. But for the younger students who are uh, from kindergarten to fifth grade, I believe it was, um, those individuals will be taught the, uh, you know, if, if there's going to be a gun curriculum, it is going to be based off of the Eddie Eagle gun program. Didn't say that it had to be the Eddie Eagle gun program, but it's going to be based off the tenets of it, which oh, there's four tenets. Stop, don't touch, run away, tell, tell, tell a grown-up. So those are the four tenets. And it's simple. It's trying to keep kids away from guns and touching them. Um, it's basically the same as teaching, teaching stop, drop, and roll. I mean, I think a lot of us remember that um, from when we were kids. And if you, if you get caught on fire, what do you do? Stop, drop, and roll. Well, that's exactly what this is. It was about teaching kids that if they find a firearm or whatever, um, stop, don't touch, run away, tell an adult. Well, apparently that's controversial, and apparently kids shouldn't shouldn't be able to be taught that. And so the governor vetoed it, and we were unable to override. So that's the unfortunate thing about that one. Um, House Bill twenty three forty four was a bill regarding child care licensure. Um, we were modifying the ratios. Uh, that were permitted for um, adult to child. And really we were only adding two kids uh, to, to the ratio. So like instead of like one adult per, per, uh, I believe it was 38 kids, it was going to be like one adult for 40 kids. And there's a few other things that we're updating about the childcare and daycare licensure. It's because if you look at our statutes, we are one of the most strictest States in America when it comes to these ratios, when it comes to uh, these, uh, requirements that we uh, are putting on our childcare system and on our daycares. The problem with that is that it's leading to massive, massively long wait lists. And because of the arduous uh, process regulations and everything else, we are basically creating a black market for uh, childcare um, because parents are in desperate need right now in order to obtain childcare. And so they're going to do, obviously do desperate things in order to facilitate. So, while the left says, no, we can't, you know, we can't lower these standards. This, you know, children will die. The problem is, is that you are not you out there, but the problem is, is that what they're arguing for is pushing people into the black market where there's no regulations at all. Um, and so because they were unwilling to even just slightly uh, change some of these regulations, the problem that you have is that if you look at our surrounding states, we were pretty much moving to where we matched them in a lot of instances. And so just a simple tweak could have allowed for less waiting lists, could have allowed for um, lower cost for parents. And, and so by not compromising and by not um, moving to a less regulated system, uh, they have ultimately said that they are okay and comfortable with people with this whole thing being overregulated, not giving parents relief and that they're okay with black market uh, daycares being set up that um, aren't regulated at all. Um, and so that's the unfortunate thing about that one. Um, we tried to override um, it failed to pass the override in the house, uh, which is where it started originally. Um, it was 81 yays and 42 nays. So that's how that ended up. Um, there's a few other bills here that uh, we're running out of time. So I'm just going to have to go ahead and quickly uh, touch on the last uh, two. The first one is the uh, tax package, which was Senate bill 169. 
So the governor obviously vetoed this bill. She absolutely hates the flat tax, um, which we are all um, tracking on. And the problem that we have with that is that the flat tax, if we look at other states, the states that don't have income taxes, the states that have flat taxes, people are moving to them. They're more competitive. They're more business friendly. They're better environments. Um, and so that is just one of those things that um, it, it would have been better for everybody involved. Um, and so hold on two seconds. Outside. So walking outside, but got the niece who came over there. Um, we're going to go drop her off here at school in a little while. So anyway, life goes on. So um, with this tax package, though, it also provided relief for everybody. It had Social Security uh, relief. It had sales tax, property tax, um, income, income tax, obviously, for everybody. And there were some business uh, taxes in there as well. So the thing is, is, this was a holistic package that would have allowed for uh, Kansans to benefit because we were unable to pass this. And, and the governor tried to blame us for it, but she vetoed the bill, um, didn't give us any alternatives earlier in the session. And she go, within the last day or two, she goes, the, the, the legislature still has time to pass this tax package. No, we, we were out of time. And by the time she offered up her solution within the last 24 hours, uh, no, it, that was not enough time for us to actually accomplish anything. Um, so I would say don't believe that one. Um, but because we were unable to obtain tax relief due to what I would say is petty politics in the Senate, um, there were people who, vote, who voted for the tax package and then voted against it um, after a motion to reconsider was made um, because it failed by a vote. And then when the person who looked at all the numbers, she became comfortable with it, made the motion to reconsider, um, other senators then flipped and kill, killed it from what from what all from what it all looks like is for petty politics reasons um because they didn't like the senate president so that's frustrating uh to say the least i'm sure many of you out there would agree um and so because of that because we failed to obtain tax relief for millions of kansans this year the state of kansas when we return is going to have over four billion dollars in the bank account now 1.6 of that is in the rainy day fund, but the rest of it is um, is stuff that we could have used or spent or done something with. Um, but now it's just going to sit in a bank account until we return. So that is the unfortunate part uh, with 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 that. And so, um, yeah, it's 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 frustrating. I'm still frustrated about it, but um, we'll work on it. We'll get there. And a little bit more about the rainy day fund, just while we're on the topic. Um, there's 1.6 billion in it, but back when we initially established the rainy day fund, um, or the budget stabilization fund is what this is what the actual name for it is. When we did that a few years ago, um, it was at zero and it's been at zero pretty much through, I think 2020, 2021. So we established the fund and then didn't put anything into it for many years because we didn't have any money. Um, but obviously if we go into a recession, that money is then is going to help us with a recession. A lot of States have these types of rainy day funds, just in case there's some emergencies that come up. Um, if there's a, a natural disaster or if there's anything else that comes up, that's not planned for in the budget, this allows for us to have that, those funds in order to help Kansans and in order to make sure that the state is healthy is what it amounts to. But anyway, so 
Well, thank you all so very much for joining us today. I didn't get a chance to talk about the other issues, um, but there was a lot that we did. I talked about a lot of our successes. Um, we did fill on a few other items, um, but that doesn't mean we can't attack them again next year and uh, see if we have the votes to, to make it happen next year. So that's the goal. And uh, I really appreciate all of you guys listening today. Thank you again for listening to another episode of the Kansas Briefing. Thanks. Thanks.